Natasha did some laundry today, and she washed some sheets, and they got a little blue tinge because there was a blue dish towel in it. Oh no! And she was like, "I'm so sorry," and I was like, "I don't care." (laughs) (laughs) Hi, kitten. Oh my God, look at you in your effortless shorts. Thank you. We just had the best podcast Yay. ever. Can we hear it? Welcome back to Recovering from Everything, a podcast for everyone who's ever had anything happen to them ever. This is a pretty unique episode. I think this is the biggest emotional roller coaster that you, the listeners, have ever been on. It's been an emotional roller coaster for me. And I've got to set it up a little bit so that you guys aren't confused. Normally, I have my guests block out a chunk of time so that we can be alone and private when we're recording and there's no distractions. I don't know what planet I was on when I thought that this would be applicable to Heather because I know that it's not. I haven't spent a second alone with her Eh, that's not true. I've spent moments alone with her when the crowd of friends and family that love her aggressively have exited the room. So that's kind of what happened here. I got to Heather's house, brought her some pita pit because she loves pita pit, even though I think it's objectively disgusting. I won't fault her for that. Heather, I love you. And I got to her house and one of her friends was leaving and her brother had gotten there at the same time. And instead of waiting for a quiet time, I just miked her brother and I miked Heather and kind of sat back and listened to them interact. There is something so special about their relationship and there is something so special about this entire family. It really is the embodiment of love to with these people and even just to sort of sit back and be a wallflower and observe them. So what I did was I injected a lot of their family moments into this podcast. It's beautiful. I had written a biography of Heather, a very, very brief synopsis of her beautiful life. And my plan was to open this podcast having the biography as the intro. And then as I started to listen back to her conversation with her brother, Chris, and the things that I'd recorded, I thought it would be kind of amazing to inject their funny little moments into this otherwise somber biography. And I realized as I was doing that, that this is the epitome of the emotional roller coaster that Heather's been on, that her family's been on, that her friends have been on, full of visitors, full of distractions, full of love, really sad, low moments, kicked out of the way by joyful, happy, excited moments, just up and down, up and down, up and down. So I hope that you can feel that in this episode and I hope that you can appreciate the beauty of that. I know I sure did. And I did get some moments alone with Heather that I'm grateful for. 
the moment that I pressed stop on recording, her dad and her uncle walked through the door. So funny. Anyways, I hope you, the listener, can recover from, but also deeply appreciate what it's like to spend one hour with someone who has terminal cancer. Wait, a lot of weight. Oh. I feel so much better today. I don't feel like I'm dying. That's what I was going to ask, but I don't know how to ask it. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I I feel good. I just want to do a... Um, I'm going to do it. What's happening? You don't have to talk into the A-E-I-O-U. Unique New York. Unique New York. Me, 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 me. Heather Little was born in Owen Sound, Ontario on July 9, 1979. She was the baby of the family for years until her little brother arrived, completing the family of five children, three girls and two boys, for her two loving parents, Noni and Peter. They moved to their second home to accommodate the family, and this childhood bedroom was Heather's favorite place, bursting with pink and always open to her little brother, who was attached to his big sister's hip. Where did all the candy go that I bought you? Oh, it's like scattered throughout this house. In drawers, in cupboards. It's everywhere. I might take a look. Yeah, go take a gander. Heather was a caregiver and a caretaker to the people she loved. When she was little, she would sneak out of her bedroom in the evenings and watch her parents from the stairs, silently making sure they were doing all right. Heather's personality was always infectious, bringing an undeniable energy to every room, every conversation, and every person who met her. Heather was talkative, active, and loved to laugh as often as possible. <laughs> we need this on record. Mic him up! Hot mic, hot mic. Just a recap is that Chris and I were just commenting on how beautiful Kinga is. She's the prettiest. Go on. Stop. Keep going. (laughs) She moved to Toronto where she started her love of fitness, but in true Heather fashion, she did it big and she did it seemingly without fear. She began competing in Ironmans, her family and friends cheering for her at each finish line. She even got a tiny Ironman tattoo on her wrist, a reminder of the strength and will to achieve her goals. Heather followed in her father's footsteps and worked in wealth management, though far exceeded her father's successes as she steadily and enthusiastically worked her way up at RBC Dominion Securities. She ultimately was offered a prestigious position as the first female branch director at the Newfoundland and Labrador branch of the national company. On July 22, 2020, Heather was barely 41, living in Newfoundland in the beautiful home she had bought for herself. This day marked the beginning of the end of Heather's life. Heather felt some shoulder pain, which quickly turned into abdominal pain. After being poked and prodded and a few hospital visits, she was diagnosed three weeks later on August 12th with stage four colon cancer. She was given three to four years to live. 
Five days later, on August 17th, her older brother flew to Newfoundland to collect her and bring her home to Owen Sound to be with her family. Oh, someone's here. Oh, who that? Oh, it's the guy delivering something. Thank you. It's from Alexander Little. On August 19th, she had a wicked fever and spent five days in the emergency room. It had been only three weeks since the diagnosis. The onset of the severity of it all was quick. Heather decided to stay permanently with her family, likely to keep a watchful eye to make sure they were all right. As her life with cancer moved forward, oncologists, chemo, surgery after surgery after surgery, new diets, physical routines, and the weight of what the diagnosis meant, she bought her forever home in Owen Sound. Her living room has plenty of soft pinks, a similar safe cocoon of her childhood bedroom. During these few months, Heather started a blog, a brand, and a community. She began actively fundraising, she sold Heather Strong merch, and began supporting other people with cancer. She helped raise over $50,000 for Princess Margaret Hospital during that first year. She received hopeful news that she could get a liver transplant, and Heather worked hard to be a model cancer patient to ensure this could happen. The tumors grew and shrank, grew and shrank, and finally stayed stable. Despite some suspicion in March this year about a spot on her peritoneum, the fluid sac around her abdomen, nothing had caused anyone to feel overly concerned. But because of this small spot that was outside of her liver, she was taken out of the running for the transplant. Her goal would not be achieved and Heather and her family, along with the Heather Strong community, had to face the reality of what this meant. She spent a few days at home, quietly, and finally she broke down. She spent a day crying, grieving this loss. She cried all day. The following morning, she drove to Toronto and participated in a fashion show at Holt Renfrew's where all of the models were also battling cancer. She had her hair done, her makeup, and laughed and cried backstage with the other models. Her entire outfit would have required her to take a second mortgage on her home, but she did manage to buy the bright green pea coat to take home with her. Heather has since retired from modeling. In May of 2023, she and many others celebrated her 50th chemo treatment by presenting an oversized check to the Owen Sound Oncology Department for over $68,000. By her side were her smiling oncologist, her smiling parents, and Heather's bag of chemo on an IV stand. With the efforts of a sizable medical team, Heather was stable. She continues to be a loving daughter, sister, aunt, cousin, niece, friend to what seems like hundreds of people, and a cancer patient. She has become a safe confidant to many of her friends' children. She has worked on her personal development to make her life the best it can be. There's this pattern where people retire and then mm -hmm. they die mm -hmm. or they, or their spouse, spouse. dies and then mm -hmm. they die. I mean, the mind is super powerful. Sort of don't discount the power of the mind. Like, But I yeah. am really positive and I do think that my Positivity has gotten me through so much totally. over the past three yeah. years. And but being home. Being home right. is like next level because you feel like I'm you're not in the hospital. Right. You're not like right. yeah. oh, is this this is it? Like we just yeah. stay here forever now. Yeah. Um, but being home makes me feel like I'm surrounded by all of my things and right. people can come and go a lot easier and stay with me and you yeah. seem completely 
different. Even from Sunday. Totally. You seem even, yeah, from Father's Day. Totally. Yeah. And what is it, Tuesday? Right. And on June 12th, 2023, just shy of three years since her diagnosis, after many tests and scans, Heather and her doctor quietly informed her parents and siblings that the chemo had stopped working and the cancer had officially metastasized. They would be taking her off chemo. It was a swift and hostile takeover by the cancer, causing Heather's stomach area to swell and swell. The first time it was drained, doctors removed three and a half liters of fluid. Heather stayed for days in the Owen Sound Hospital, receiving tearful visitors, regaling old stories of travel and dinners and backyard pools and fireworks and reality TV shows. Her mother stayed with her each night, sleeping on chairs pushed together and cushioned by hospital pillows and blankets. One of Heather's friends gifted Noni a small flannel blanket with small red roses on it. Together, they planned, cried, laughed, hugged, and waited. Heather had broken the news to as many people as she could, including her oncologist in Toronto. He suggested she may be able to try one last medication to extend her life by a few months. The gasps from Heather's hopeful family were quieted quickly by the raise of Heather's finger to silence the room. She had been down this road already. She knew to proceed with caution down the now darkening road of hope. Friday, I go see him for an mm. educational session on Monser. Mm. You're going to be... Is she like a lunch and learn? Right. I think <laughs> I'm going to get, hopefully get some CE credits. <laughs> Did you have to learn about everything else you took? Uh, like we had a meeting beforehand oh. and he explained it all to me. Yeah. But this seems like next level. Well, you're cause you're doing it at home and you're administering it at oh. home. And it's a pill. And it's a pill. Every day. Five days. Two days off. Two days off. Five, five days, days on. 16 days, days off. After five days in the hospital, Heather was stable enough to go home to her safe place with her things and her food and a frequently unlocked front door to welcome all of the people who love her, for her mom to do the gardening and take out her garbage, and for her siblings to pop by on their work breaks. The path she was on had ended suddenly, and she had to carve out a different road for herself, but at least she could do it from her soft pink living room in her own pajamas. Today was the first Tuesday in a long time that she wouldn't be attending her chemo appointment. Wow, that was really emotional. It's, um, you wrote that really nicely. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Didn't know we were going to start this off with crying, but here I am. That was, I'm speechless. That really makes me sound really nice. You are so. You are so nice. Uh, and it's a nice little packaged up version of my life and, and a bit of my journey. Mm -hmm. So I, it was beautiful. What is your relationship with hope right now? Does it feel dangerous, like something that will betray you? Or do you still welcome it? Do you allow yourself to feel hope for your life? 
so you and I have known each other for a long time and, yeah. and you know that deep down I'm an eternal optimist and I'm try to always see the glasses half full and remain optimistic and try to find the light and love in every day. At the beginning when, when we kind of started talking about potentially using a, a new drug uh, to try a fourth line treatment, and that was actually with my doctor, Dr. Sandu as well in Owen Sound uh, in conjunction with the oncologist in Toronto. He did a lot of work on that as well. And, um, <laughs> oh, ding dong. I'll Hold get on. it. We'll just get the door. <laughs> yes. Hi. Hope. So I, I still do have a lot of hope. I, you know, my mom always says that we live in hope and I think if I don't have positivity and hope, then my days are going to be pretty glum. And I don't want that. I want my days to be filled with happiness and laughter and probably some tears. But I do want it to be, I am hopeful. Uh, it is a long shot and it's not got a great response rate for this fourth line treatment. But maybe it'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think aside from having hope for your life, there's probably different hopes that you can have just for your, the way your day is going to pan out too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I hope I feel amazing today. Mm -hmm. I hope. I see lots of people. You see everybody all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just say, you know, I hope someone brings me Pita Pit. (laughs) I should say thank you for revisiting your Ugh. old drunken days Disgusting. to go to the pita pit to get me a pita and it was like full of teenagers too she, your mom's cleaning yeah <laughs> that's the noise in the background <laughs> it was full of teens and i was like oh what is this what is this fresh hell <laughs> and you are super welcome does a part of you does a part of you want to be here for your family and then another part of you want to get off the roller coaster it's so funny you say that so a couple weeks ago I kind of go through phases where I feel like I'm in almost a groundhog day where I wake up and I do the exact same thing every day and then it's just nighttime and then it's bedtime and then I go to sleep and I wake up and do the exact same thing every day. Yeah. And I try to mix up my days and but it does get a little groundhog day-ish if you let it, I guess. And it's funny, I said to my parents, like not in a morbid way and not in a I'm giving up way at all but I was just like something needs to happen like let's go down a path let's either get better or let's move on with the end like I I, being like in limbo being in limbo is so hard yeah and not knowing is so hard and I'm such a planner so it's difficult for me to be in this okay what's next what's next so yeah, it is very difficult to say, okay, let's just pick a path and let's just go for it. Like whichever that path is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, get me out of this. But you are a purpose driven person. Yes. I know. I know you are. If the, does it feel safe for you to 
plan anything right now. So not really just because I am the heel off, like coming off the heels of being in the hospital. Yeah. So I still feel like I'm recovering from simply being in the hospital. Yeah. Which can take a lot out. You don't sleep very well. They don't feed you very well. I couldn't eat very much because my stomach was so distended. You know, so many different factors. So, yeah, it's... Like if you were to, you know, start taking the new medication, could you plan a week in Mexico? Exactly. Right? It's going to depend on how I respond to yeah. it. So I do feel like throughout this path, it's been kind of, well, I don't quite want to do anything until I get my next scan or until I have this or until these results come in or until this happens. And now it's kind of like, well, until I know how I'm going to respond to this drug, yeah. I don't, I don't really want to plan anything. But once I know, maybe that is something I could do. Yeah. I don't have the energy to do that right now. Right. And so thinking of planning that is just completely overwhelming. But um, I mean, I would love to travel. I do love to travel. Hi, Noni. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I caught our little voice. Bye-bye. I know. Um, you were diagnosed three years ago, and I know you've made a lot of plans. Yes. But does this feel like the beginning of the end? It did while I was in the hospital. Yeah. And I almost feel more hopeful now because I feel so much better than I did while I was in the hospital. So it is, it's really peculiar because this is going to sound like a really weird comment, but I don't feel like I'm dying. Yeah. Despite what doctors are saying and despite the plans that have been put into place and the amazing medical teams that have been put around me for this next stage, I don't feel like I am and maybe that's wishful thinking and that could change tomorrow I have no idea but right now today that's how I feel that was one of the things I noticed uh, as I was putting all this together was the two contradictory ideas existing at the exact same time are you dying I don't know yeah medically yes but you don't feel like it like how does that it's how a, does that make any sense but it does it, and it's been this contradiction that i've been facing this whole time yes because if i put on makeup and a nice outfit and i go out somewhere the amount of times people say oh my gosh you look so good like you don't look sick right and i'm i always say well, the outside of my body isn't reflecting what's happening on the inside of yeah. my body. And I said to my liver surgeon the last time I saw him, I said, if you weren't in my life, I wouldn't know there's anything wrong with me. Like, but you've cut me open twice, so I presume there is something legitimately right. wrong with yeah. me. Yeah, I, I have think to take did. your word for it, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And, and I've received so many beautiful messages and notes and calls and 
every form of communication from people showing their support and whether they're from the Heather Strong community or people I don't even know who yeah. have stumbled across my blog or someone has shared my blog with them or whatever the case is, I don't understand. It's, it's almost like they say, I'm thinking about you and you've, you know, I'm behind you and I've got this and I'm like, but what, like, no, I'm okay. I, everything's fine. Is it like imposter syndrome? That's probably exactly yeah. what it feels like. Like, yeah, that feeling of, are you s saying that to the right person? Like, I know it's me. Yeah. And I thank you for these beautiful notes and, and all of these wonderful messages. But then I step back and I go, is this me? Yeah. It's a really weird feeling. You're receiving it because you deserve it. But a part of you is like, but I don't. I haven't earned this. I haven't. No. Did you believe you would get rid of the cancer? Yes. I, I don't know. I just thought I was going to be the miracle. I was going to be the one that people said, gosh, this wasn't supposed to happen. And somehow this girl pulled it out and no one understands why or how. And I deep down genuinely believed that. Yeah. And there's still a part of me that kind of does. Yeah. I'm not trying to be with my head in the sand. I'm very realistic about what is happening. But at the same time, I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. Yes. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> During the day, when things feel normal, is that a strange sensation for you? Yes. So the times that I, quote, forget that I have cancer yeah. is really weird once I remember. Yeah. It's as though my mind can carry on doing something, being out to dinner, say. Mm -hmm. Carrying on with friends and laughing and eating and talking about whatever's going on, not about my health. And I forget that I have cancer. And then all of a sudden it hits me and is, whoa, I'm sick. Yeah. It's a really weird sensation, a really weird feeling. And it almost like makes my stomach turn or like get fluttery. Yeah. As a reminder. Yeah. Like when you go over the hill on a roller coaster. Yes. Yeah. Do you think there's anything unique about your experience with cancer and i'm i'm kind of looking for like what makes you special have you thought about that before so i think i'm a regular person just like everybody else you're not but that's fine and i do think there are unique things uh, the fact that I've chosen to share my journey. A lot of people uh, don't like to share their journey and like to keep it very, very close to themselves and maybe a few very close family and maybe friends. Yeah. Whereas I've chosen to share it as far as the internet goes. I made that decision right at the beginning because I thought I just want something good to come out of this and if somebody reading my blog 
can take one thing away from this and it can help them or help them deal with a family member or friend who has cancer or any sort of illness. Mm-hmm. Or if this can help a cancer patient, then that's then I've done my job. I've made something good come out of this. And have you had that happen? Absolutely. People have shared my blog with people they know that have had cancer, that are going through cancer. People have reached out to say some of the other podcasts I've done, some tips and advice that I've given as somebody who's not the sick person, how to deal with the sick person. Yeah. People have reached out to me and said, I, I never thought of that. I, I didn't even think of that as an option or that I should be thinking in that direction or whatever the case is. So the amount of people that have reached out to say this has changed their life. And there are a few people that have reached out to say, since you've been diagnosed, I've, I use this every day to motivate myself to be better. And I, that's where my imposter syndrome comes in. And I yeah. think, oh my gosh, I, I didn't do anything. I just wrote a blog post and I feel, but that's what I want. I want people to be kinder and be more accepting of others. And I want to normalize things like talking about really, really hard things. There were things in my blog or things in my journey that were absolutely terrible and some really quite disgusting that I chose to share. I thought maybe I shouldn't share them. They're too gross or they're too personal. And I decided, no, I, if I'm sharing this, I'm sharing the good, bad, and the ugly. That does make you special. <laughs> Thank you. You've said so many times that you feel sad for your friends and oh. family because we'll still be here grieving yeah. you. You have cried for the people who will live on with the void of you. Yeah. Do you think you're going through stages of grief right now? It's a good question. I don't know if I am or if I'm having emotions that I'm kind of dealing with as they come. I don't know if they would specifically be the stages of grief because I don't necessarily feel like I'm grieving in a normal way that should I lose somebody I would grieve, whether that's just me picturing people and feeling just so sad I I don't I'm not sure where that lands yeah which is like I think fine and yeah um I wouldn't say it's the stages of grief though yeah I think it's more I look at somebody and I think oh my gosh like I know what it's like to be on the other side of something and or something like this and have to grieve the person and go through everything. And and I keep saying, well, I'm going to be the one that's gone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be at peace. So do you feel guilty? um, I've really tried to not let this enter my thought process. Yeah. But through the whole time, I've been worried that I was going to let people down. And I don't know if that would be considered guilty or not, like feeling guilty. 
I know I haven't done anything to do this. I know that I don't have any control over what's happening, yet I still feel like I'm going to let people down. Right. Like so many people have put so much effort into supporting me and I'm going to let them down, even though I know that's a crazy inside Heather's brain thing. Yeah. I know that's not a reality thing. I know that nobody is going to say, oh gosh, that Heather really let me down. Um, <laughs> could have fought a little bit harder. Could have tried harder. Yeah. Um, so I know that's a me thing, not an anybody else thing. But that I think that's another great example of how two truths can exist at the same time. Absolutely. Which is like, just for me, putting this together has been like the theme of, of all of this. Yes. Contradicting realities. Yes. Mixed messages. Major. Would you rather know it's the last time you're going to see someone or not know? Oh, Does it God. depend on the person? I'm going to be an asshole here and say that it depends on the person. Because yeah. freaking Joe Schmo from nowhere, you'd yeah. be like, yeah, see you never. Yeah. But. So again, that same kind of thing of the I'll be gone and I won't know. But while you're here. Yes. Would you rather be like goodbye forever or no? Yeah. See you I think I'd, coffee or I think I'd rather live in a little bit of a little bit of a naive state. Yes. Yeah. Where I think I'm going to see that person again. Yeah. I want that also for you. Yes. Ah, <sighs> these are like literally every question i ever had i just wrote down i love this <laughs> i'm an open book girl i know oh <laughs> you've influenced me in a really strong way in the various ways that you are generous and so caring of others selfishly i'd like to know if i've influenced you in a positive way oh my gosh kinga <laughs> I absolutely of... oh that's good Oh my gosh. I, I'm happy to say that I've worked with you professionally and we've had a lot of sessions together and I. Hello. Hi. Have you got some flowers? Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, oh, a little mason so jar. Oh, those are so adorable. Yeah. Well, I can do that later. Yeah, no, let's talk about me. No. Um, <laughs> so I have worked with you and, and had sessions with you. Mm -hmm. And it was a while ago. And I think working with you taught me to have more calm around me and be able to be more empathetic to others and see others' point of view and not be pushing my point of view on everybody, mm -hmm. which I love to do. Um, and people have commented that, whether they knew I was working with you or not, people have commented that I just seem more at peace. Mm. And I think you unscrambled my brain a little bit for me which I needed and I don't feel high strung. I don't feel those feelings that I used to feel of maybe disappointment or of 
feeling let down or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you kind of gave me so many tools to deal with those sorts of things. And um, you've, as I said, we've known each other for a long time, but in the past probably couple of years, we've become much closer and you've definitely impacted my life and changed my life a hundred percent for the better. And I just honestly am eternally grateful because of what you've taught me and, and how to live and work through my own brain. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. And also, we love the same trashy reality TV, yes. which just bonds us on a whole other the level. Unshakable, unshakable bond for all of eternity. Yes. I, yeah, I, last year when we decided to work together, I remember us having the conversation of like, listen, if this, if this is it, if this is potentially, you know, the last couple of years of your life, let's just make them a little bit easy for you mentally. Yeah. 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 And you did that. You helped me. Yeah. Yeah. You did it. It's funny that you're like, I I like pushing my ideas onto other people because I'm like, yes, so do I. That's how I changed you. (laughs) That's why I got into the job I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) I just get paid to do it. Yeah. I do have a series of rapid fire questions, some of which we're going to close with that. I'm going to do, I'm going to do one more. Okay. Uh, does death feel like a failure or are you? Really good question. It definitely doesn't feel like a failure cool. at all. Yeah. It feels like I drew us the short straw and it could have been anybody. I feel like I've done so much in this life and had so many amazing experiences and I've traveled and I've gone to all the places and I've had all the drinks and I've eaten all the food and I've done all the things and uh, probably more than most people have in 10 lifetimes. Yeah. So I don't really have any regrets about not doing something or a bucket list that needs to be fulfilled or anything like that. And like, I feel as though I could really hang around for another 40 more years. Yeah. That'd that'd be cool. But should that not happen, I I don't feel like it's a failure. Yeah. Have you ever heard of soul contracts? It's this idea that all of our souls are, when they're up there doing whatever, hanging out in Soul City, they go into a human body with a certain intention and they basically like sign a contract to be like, you know, I want to know what unconditional love is like. I want to know what a life of disappointment is like. I want to experience, and they're just so like pure and innocent and they need the human body to like experience all this stuff. What do you think your soul's contract would have been? Probably to help people and like, live a life of service and impact people positively and try to have people see that even when things are bad, there can be good things. I don't know how you frame that into a thing. Like a joy injection into everyone's day. Yes. I mean, even, and I told you this, even the uh, administrative girl, at oncology and Owen Sand messaged me and was like, Heather's the bestest. 
<laughs> and there was another blog post you had written that you were like, you're like best friends with the like secretary down in Toronto too. And I'm like, yes, this is, this is Heather. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did say to my family the night we found out and when I was telling, telling them the news, I did say, maybe I was too big for this world. Mm-hmm. Did it all in 43 years. And I was just, that was your sole contract to do yeah. everything you possibly could. Or maybe I can, time. maybe I can do more Yeah. from whatever the afterlife is. Yes. That's in my rapid fire question. Oh, good. So I will close this portion and then we'll go into rapid fire. But I read an article from the New York Academy of Science about consciousness during death experiences in people who had been in cardiac arrest so their heart has been stopped for at least a few minutes and this is part of the article and it made me think of you they develop a perception or a sensation of being pulled towards a type of destination during the experience they review their life from birth until death and interestingly this review is based upon their humanity they don't review their lives based on what people strive for like a career promotions or an amazing vacation their perspective is focused on their humanity they notice incidents where they acted with humanity and kindness they re-experience and relive these moments, but also what's fascinating is they also describe these experiences from the other person's perspective. So not only will you get to experience all the times that you were kind and loving, you'll get to experience what it felt like to be loved by you. Oh, I love that possibility. That is amazing. I hope that's the case. I know. All right, rapid fire questions. Okay. So one sentence answers, no more, no less. And these appear in no particular order. Okay, hit me. (sighs) What makes you feel good these days? Being around family and friends. How long do you think Scandaball and Rachel were actually banging for? My answer is 2019 when she was engaged to James. I 100% agree with that. Which part of your life brought you the most happiness? When I was working at RBC Dominion Securities. Do you feel loved? Absolutely. Do you feel scared? Absolutely. What is the shittiest concert you've ever been to? Impossible. I love every concert. (laughs) What are your thoughts on MAID, medical assistance in dying? Um, I agree with it. Have you ever laughed so hard that you peed your pants in adulthood? Almost, (laughs) but I've laughed very, very hard. What is your idea of the afterlife? I hope that it is being able to be with everybody I love. If there is a heaven, who would you want to see there first? My granny and granddad. Dran and granddad. If there is a heaven and there is a God, what would you want him to say to you when you get there? Why me? Why did this happen to me? And I would want his answer. Ooh, what's your astrological sign? And I'm a cancer. And that's <laughs> real weird. <laughs> what's your favorite quality about yourself? My kindness. What is your prettiest feature? Hmm, I think my eyes. Oh, they are good eyes. They're so green. Is life mostly trying to find the things you can control when so much of it is out of your control? I think so. Um, I'm not going to BravoCon without you. Is that okay? I will be there in November. (laughs) And you're coming. (laughs) 
What is your favorite alcoholic beverage? Champagne. Oh, the expensive you... stuff. Oh, of course, Avi. Uh, do you wish you'd done more drugs? No, I don't like drugs. Oh, <laughs> never have. <laughs> I'm too straight laced for that, Kinga. You know that. It's true. I know. You just you you know you never know. I love a champagne. I don't love the drug. I, I like got clean and sober, and now I'm like, I wish I'd done more drugs. <laughs> oh wow, no different mindset. I think. Yeah. What should your nephews know about girls? That they should always treat them with respect. That's what I thought you'd say. What would you tell your teenage self? That you better enjoy every single day. Mm. That's it. <gasps> I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kinga. Thank you for giving me this last year, especially of your friendship. Thank you for the support, for your love. I am very grateful for you. Also, I looked up what to say to a terminally ill person and mm. some of it was all right. Most of it was trash. So in the spirit of uh, feeling contradictory feelings simultaneously, I think I speak for everyone. Uh, I hate this, but I love you. There was a psychiatrist doctor and Holocaust survivor named Viktor Frankl, who came up with this existential concept called logotherapy. This is the idea of creating meaning from pain. Logotherapy has three distinct concepts, freedom of will, will to meaning, and meaning in life. So the first, freedom of will, asserts that we are free to decide how we want to shape our lives within the limits of our life. We are free to respond in any way we choose, no matter the circumstance. The second concept, will to meaning, asserts that we are capable of surpassing pleasure and supporting our pain for a meaningful cause, that our primary motive as humans is to find meaning in our lives. And third, finding meaning in life is the idea that humans have both the freedom and the responsibility to bring forth their best possible selves by realizing the meaning in every situation and that even during unavoidable suffering we can discover meaning in life so for example a person who has a terminal disease can create meaning from it by finding ways to support other people going through something similar they can choose their attitudes, they can choose to fundraise, they can choose hope and laughter at any given moment. Or if you love someone who is suffering, you can create meaning for yourself by supporting the person you love. Bring them some pita pit, have a laugh together. Start a group chat where all you talk about are the disgusting details of your favorite reality shows. Logotherapy uses the techniques of intentional paradoxes to manage feelings of PTSD, acute stress, alcohol and drug treatment, anxiety, depression. 
During this conversation, Heather laughed through her tears. We talked about Heather helping to raise over $100,000 in donations to hospitals. We talked about how she decided to be very public about her journey in this illness, how hundreds of people reached out to her saying that she motivates them, that they're rooting for her, they're wearing her merch proudly. Heather has created so much meaning through all of this. She had lived a life of meaning before her diagnosis, but the diagnosis pushed that even farther. And that's the paradox of a tragedy creating the path to fulfill Heather's meaning of life, which she stated was to live a life of service. And this is the absolute meaning behind logotherapy. I hope that you're able to see the love and connection that Heather has with her family and her friends and that even during tragedy and injustice, you can choose to make room for joy and hope and peace. They can all exist at the same time. If you know anyone who can use some support, send them to Heather's website. The link is in the show notes, but it's heatherstrong.ca. Send them this podcast even. That would be all right. In 1986, psychiatrist, Holocaust survivor, and the father of logotherapy, Viktor Frankl, said, It really doesn't matter what we expected from life, but what life expected from us. Embrace your paradoxes, my friends. See you soon. Love you. Yeah, we had this like, (laughs) we had this funny barbecue where I was supposed to barbecue all these ribs. I already told you. (laughs) Do a rib off. And Chris had an assist from the wonderful folks at Montana's. (laughs) He's still taking sponsorships. I bought four racks of ribs and then put them on the smoker to pretend that I made them. And we all walked in and Chris was standing at his smoker, wiping. uh, um, Oh, that's the hospital. Okay. Can you just pause for a sec? Good. Heather speaking.